0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. Today, we have an actor that is in a brand new film about both real estate and love, not necessarily in that order. We have the fantastic, the talented, the wonderful Jonas Barranca. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Ken. I really appreciate being here.
0: I I have to say, I'm kind of excited. I always am. I, I love to talk to people that make stuff, but... In doing my research, uh, there was one thing that jumped out to me uh, above all else. The thing that just goes, this guy is really interesting. If nothing else for this one really awesome. I found a pic of you where you had like a pompadour that defies gravity and a tiger stripe shirt on. <laughs> and I just, I looked at that. It's like, this has got to have a story. What, what is that? What is that problem?
1: That's one of those things honestly the the best thing i can attribute to that to um that's that was a great photographer um and director i know uh john andrea de who um it's one of those lessons you know in don't burn bridges for no reason you know it was one of those things i had sent an audition i think to him for an indie that he was directing i think he wrote it as well years prior and then you know When you do that, sometimes you follow each other on social media and whatnot, and we had just been following each other, and it was kind of mid COVID's shutdown period, um, I guess late 2020 or something, that he had contacted me and just said that he wanted to do a photo shoot. I threw some ideas back and forth. Um, I was recently feeling my... I had recently come out uh, publicly as a queer and bi person and um, wanted to explore more of my gender bending and um, sexuality bending identity in a way that I hadn't explored prior. Um, and John was a lovely human being to help me out there. We had a great makeup person, great art, uh, hair person. I, I mean, yeah, the way, the way that they got the hair, I had long hair at the time. It was, my hair was probably about a foot long, but yeah, they, uh, they, they were able to get it to stand almost entirely up, which is.
0: That's crazy. That's something that you can have like forever. And just it's like, I remember this this one moment and everybody will do it. Uh, and as far as the long hair goes, I'm right, <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you. I, I love that. Um, so, all right. So I, I have to ask how, just looking at the the number of different skills that you bring to the table in terms of every actor is going to want to have a bag of tricks, you know, things that that they have that makes them identifiable and I can do these types of things, but you've got kind of a fairly eclectic bag. How did you get into acting in the first place? And was it like secondary Were some of these other skills first? I mean, I see that you graduated. uh, One of your degrees was for playing the trumpet.
1: Yeah. um, Went to LaGuardia Arts High School in New York, the famous fame school. Um, but, and I mean, originally I had actually started acting in community theater and, um, equity showcases around New York, uh, starting when I was about nine years old at the Brooklyn Heights players and then gallery players also in Brooklyn and the Metropolitan Playhouse in Lower East Side. Um, I was very lucky to work with some wonderful actors as a child and in my adolescence there. Um, but one of the wonderful things about, community theater um, is that you learn all different skills just from being in the environment. You know, if you're not afraid of a power drill then someone's going to hand it to you, even if you're 12 years old or like a hammer or something like that, and this is how you put something together and this is how you take something apart. (laughs) You know, that kind of graduated when I got into college, Um, but actually kind of backtracking. Yeah. Music was a passion of mine since forever. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a household that um, both my parents uh, actually met on stage as actors. Father was an English teacher. My mother was a librarian. They're both still with us, but retired. Um, And uh, but they also just fully my mom was also a painter. My father's a poet. um, In one of my father's poems, he speaks about how my uh, his father, my grandfather, who I never was able to meet. He passed before I was born, but he had always wanted to play violin. And so when I was a kid, uh, both between my folks and uh, my mother's parents who frequented auctions of all kinds of things, all kinds of items, we had instruments all over the house, including a cornet um, that I think I first picked up and started making an actual sound on it when I was like nine started getting lessons finally, when I was about 12. So at that point, I think I had been playing for about six months when I auditioned for LaGuardia and then got in on trumpet. And at that point I had already been acting for years and trumpet was relatively new, but I got in for the horn and I was like, well, maybe I ought to give this a try. You know, acting's always going to be there. Um, at least that's how I felt about it. I mean, it didn't stop me. You know, I continued to do community and and, um, regional theater in New York throughout my high school, which while I was at school, I pretty much only played the trumpet um, and a few other curricular extracurricular activities. Um, But uh, by the time I got to college, it was very difficult to decide what to go for because I hadn't had any uh, prior formal training in acting. It was just from doing shows and so then I ended up going to school for acting um, to SUNY Fredonia, um, studied my BFA in acting there, actually started as musical theater, graduated as an acting major, but I continued to still study uh, voice, classical voice with um, the great teacher, Daniel Ehas, who helped me find a whole other octave to my voice that I never even really knew I had before and um some great dance training as well i uh learned quite a bit of modern and jazz dance training there as well and that's also where i got an introduction to combat and stunts because that was part of the curriculum um so (laughs) that's my base schooling before you know pretty much all that was you know before 21 that's that's uh that's my childhood
0: that that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Uh, it, it definitely beats out public school uh, by about a mile
1: and a yard. Oh, it's all public school except for yeah, Laguardia. LaGuardia's is a public school. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's that's that's one of the most important things about it, as far as I'm concerned, is that because it is a public school and acceptance. I honestly don't know what acceptance is now. What it's based on, whether it's academic or talent or both. I know when I went, it was definitely purely talent-based because I would not have gotten in on academics. And um, uh, I believe they tried certain things with uh, an academic test afterwards. But um, one of the best things about it, as far as I'm concerned, is that it gives the opportunity to kids all across New York City who might not have the resources or the network to access those private trainings. Right. And um, and schools and and teachers to not only get their talent into such an esteemed uh, high school, but while there, because the talent gets you there, you might find that, you know, you have a talent with chemistry that you wouldn't have gotten at so-and-so local public school that doesn't have the same resources right so it's, it's funny that people maybe assume that because it's a specialized school that it is a private school but no no, no. i'm a, a full product of the public school system and uh, state schools <laughs> until until after i graduated my undergrad and then i found my own training
0: i love learning stuff like that it's just kind of it kind of I don't know, not hope is not the right word, but it kind of makes you, makes you feel good that, that, that can exist. That's, that's really cool. Um,
1: Absolutely. You know, the the underprivileged kids from the outer reaches of New York. I mean, I knew kids who were traveling in from the Bronx, from the Ascent, Queens, you know, Brooklyn, everywhere. Uh, And if they had gone to their local high school, who knows, you know, what they would have been exposed to, um, or not, you know, it just, it just, op- I, I really think that because of that structure of acceptance, it opens up doors to a lot of people who wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise. Definitely.
0: So, okay. So uh, since you had the trumpet experience, I have to ask, did you uh, develop the the Gillespie pouches? Can you do the... the- <laughs>
1: you know? Well, the, I mean, it's, you know, you shouldn't be doing that if you're playing, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh yeah, no, Dizzy Gillespie is obviously one of the all-time greats oh, yeah. and um I, I might be mistaken but I believe that's just something that developed over time from letting his cheeks I mean if the fact is you let that go there's connective tissues all throughout right the musculature of your neck and your throat and you know an EMT would be able to uh <laughs> E- ent would be able to explain to you better than i could yeah. um but i believe over time things got stretched and and uh opened up in ways that most people i mean you know proper embouchure you want to keep things kind of tight and keep it you know corners in there but obviously it didn't hurt with his range
0: no yeah no no now personally i was more of a miles davis guy i think i've sure. kind of blew about a million times but clifford uh,
1: brown is my guy oh studying that's... brown is one of the absolute all-time jazz albums as far as I'm if one of my things I used to do in in high school um they had I mean this is another reason people probably think it's a private school is because like kids would if you were in the upper ensembles jazz or uh, uh symphonic band or orchestra if you had a concert that day you got at least half the day off if not the full day And so (laughs) once I knew that I would be able to, like, you know, chill until I had to go perform, basically, I discovered the value of, I guess, you would consider it some type of meditation. I would take a bath, put my ears under the water, and just for about, I don't know, until I went wrinkly, basically, listen to the music with my ears under the water, because... Usually at that point, you know, my parents had one of those old clawfoot tubs, and the only sound that would penetrate through there would be the music. So mm. it would be like a, like a what, what do they call those? Not sound blanket, um,
0: but you uh, know what I'm talking about. They're like, these like uh, like the 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 water chambers where the yeah that that deprivation kind history of deprivation, kind deprivation
1: of. yeah yeah yeah. But people I know do these things where they like go into a dome and the only thing you can hear and see are like the lights and the sounds of what the artist is making. And I think that's, uh, I don't know. It just offers a different perspective.
0: That sounds, uh, sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. I remember the old clawfoot, uh, the tubs too. My, my grandmother uh, raised me and she had a lot of some, let, let's call it classic furniture, uh, rather than she didn't want to buy new stuff it was I mean, uh, antique it was antique uh, well they also
1: used to build things to last right yes, yes they did
0: <laughs> so okay so with you know we've talked a little bit about your training with music a little bit of training the other one of the things that you yeah. touched on where uh, there was the the stunt training and you know, i've seen a couple of the videos that you posted with some workouts and just looking at what you're doing it's like okay i see some boxing there i see some kickboxing there you know what Have you studied any specific martial arts what, what, uh, what kind of, what kind of moves you in terms of, of the stunt and martial art world?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great question. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, honestly it was at the local Y that I started getting into boxing period. They had a little bit of equipment. Um, while I was there, there were a few guys who would come in and, and offer me some tips and tricks and training, you know, first time, I think I ever like hit some some target mitts or anything like that was it's probably like 15. And it was just a guy who had some saw me hitting the speed bag and was like, do this. So um, it's one of those things of just being around the right people Um, in college. My uh, uh, he was the stage combat teacher as part of the curriculum, but um, essentially my mentor while I was there. Um, got me into a little bit of Aikido training. And then from there, it's pretty much just every time I find a new group of cats to practice with um, out in the stunt world. Like when I went to L.A. right after college, I I, uh, met up with the Sword Fights Inc. stunt team um, and we did a lot of sword fight stuff. Um, uh, When I got back to New York and continued out here um, with the UATW up against the wall, uh, stunt team that is based up in New Rochelle um, and got some wonderful training there in just hard hitting. And it's one of those things that you just need to be humble about knowing what you can do, you know, and there, there's, there's absolutely a core base of skills that you must know as far as camera angles, how to take a hit, how to take a fall, these types of things. Um energy in front of the camera, stuff like that. But um, then as far as just specified martial arts training, for me, it's just been finding people that are better than me and letting them show me things. Um, I really would like to, uh, I would love to continue finding a a formal school of training right now. Um, I've always loved uh, kickboxing and Taekwondo, though I took a few classes in Taekwondo few years back. And, um, you know, there's something about getting the legs involved that I absolutely love. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say, if nothing else, I'll definitely keep you here. You're, you're, you're going to be svelte. Uh,
1: <laughs> in shape. See, it, I mean, it's a great, great core workout, just getting the knees up alone
0: yeah i i, I i'm'm I'm on board with the Aikido Any little bit of a some some joint manipulation. It's like, okay, I can deal with that just don't don't make me move to oh now I've got to fall again I, I...
1: well that that's that's a wonderful thing about the Aikido training is that you you know it could be a very small move, but you end up throwing somebody twelve feet. you know it's uh right. it's using their energy against them at the end of the day um and one of my one of my favorite things about that is there are a few books I had, blanking on the name of the book right now but there was one book that uh, my teacher showed me specifically that showed the correlation between nature and the movement as far as um,
0: similar shapes and patterns yeah
1: similar shapes and patterns um, as far as like how the wind moves how water moves and just to help visualize it which is I think one of the best ways for me to learn things Um, definitely yeah
0: I'm in the same boat. Okay. So you've got, you've got all this awesome training and you've still been participating in, in theater and in productions. And I, you know, I have to assume that there's at least one or two of those early productions that stick out, that there was a role that you had, whether it's the role itself or whether it was the reaction that the crowd had or something about the production process. Are there any of those that you can kind of point to and go, yeah, this, if if I hadn't already decided this was the direction I was going, this right here would have been, this would have done it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Trying to think there are, you mean, you mean early on or just along the way, kind of Uh, either way, whatever, either way. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So when I did, when I was a child and I was doing community theater here in Brooklyn uh, with the Heights players, um, they did something that I don't know if they still do, but we would have um, shows for homeless kids. Um, They would bring in, I don't know if they would like what shelter they would reach out to specifically, but we would have regular parts of our run were shows, free shows for the homeless. And I remember just being, I, I might've been 10 years old and um, just knowing the difference of life that we had on both sides of the stage and audience Um just it was probably one of the most sobering moments of my child I mean again I was a child I couldn't have been more than 11 years old probably 10 nine or ten years old um but it gave me such a uh a, a look into the healing aspects and the communal truly communal aspects of putting a show on and how important not only the audience is, but what you're doing for the audience to give them the opportunity to forget about whatever it is going on in their lives. But even if it's for 10 of those 90 minutes that they're watching you, their problems can go away, whatever it could be. And I don't I, I hope that it's not um, I hope that it wouldn't be conce- concerned con- I hope that it wouldn't be considered arrogant to feel that way in any capacity, but rather it, it really did feel like something that, that opened my eyes to just how powerful theater can be. Um, and then since then, it's kind of chasing that high. I mean, it's like, you know, I've done some stand-up, I've fronted bands. There's something about the first really successful time that you do anything like that. That you're always chasing the high of when, you know, if it's if it's stand-up, you're chasing the first time that you got a whole room belly laughing. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's fronting a band, for me, it's chasing that time that my brother and I had a whole basement theater bumping, like jumping up and down and going nuts, like that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and as far as theater goes, it's it's kind of just like that. I did that intentionally. It's chasing those moments that you have <laughs> the whole world listening to you and you can breathe and know that they're breathing and watching you at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that That is pretty pretty awesome. Um, now, I'm hoping that the productions that you put on at that point were like not like Les Miserables or anything because that, that could go you know, completely. The first
1: different. one I did was Babes in Toyland, I believe. Oh,
0: there we go. That's a fun <laughs> one. That's a fun one. Yeah. Now one one that I saw that you were involved with just because it tickled my funny bone because I have a, a lifelong uh love of of horror movies and everything. I saw that you played Renfield uh in a production of Dracula. That had to have been so much fun.
1: You know, that was if I had continued rambling in the last question, yes, that would have been another huge one. That was the very first thing that I did in college. Um, And that was with the student-run theater company, the performing arts company. That was actually the reason that I went to that school. Um, I was deciding between SUNY Fredonia and DePaul University in Chicago. Um, Now, I didn't tour Chicago, uh, but I did tour Fredonia. In addition to not wanting to be in a city because I grew up in a city, I found certain things at Fredonia specifically like the performing arts company, which is an entirely student run, student budgeted. Um, actually, I guess the funding came through state grants, but you had to apply for them. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, the performing arts company put on this production of Dracula that I, it's one of those things growing up with parents who raised you on classic film and literature and, um, the second I saw that they were casting for that, I had only one idea of a character that I wanted to play. It was Renfield. Um, I think I might have licked the floor of the audition space. <laughs> and after that, it was pretty much history. Um, I uh that th- yeah, that that was just such a wonderful moment in my university experience, just because. It was another one of those times that I had, well, actually, maybe that was, that might have been the first time cutting myself off a lot, but that might've been the first time that I really experienced having the audience eat out of my hand because there's something about the Renfield character. Now that was the Steven Dietz edit of the story, oh. which is actually a great, it's a great adaptation of the Dracula story. Um, because I think one of the best things it does is stay true to the letter format of the novel. Right. Um, And uh, I remember before I, I guess it was after I auditioned once I got the script in my hand and I read the lines of Renfield and I read the stage directions and like what's going on. It was the closest thing to Hannibal Lecter that I had ever seen before in something that I had access to, to perform. And at the time and kind of still, um, the Science of the Lambs remains in my top 10 list of like perfect movies of all time. Um, and <laughs> the opportunity to play a character like that, switching between intention and who you're speaking to and objective for every single moment of whatever he's talking about at the time, always in service of his master. It just, Yeah, it was beautiful. Also, that was one of my first experiences before I even started training with swords or anything in college. Now that I think about it with stunts, because it cracked my neck at the end of the play. And we did that great little trick. And I remember the first time we did it was for the student preview. Right. And for a lot of university productions, before you open the house for the general public, you have a student preview because a lot of the kids don't have an opportunity, whether they're running the show, you know, and um, that was in the full. I believe we did that in full round, at least three quarter round in the black box. Um, really? the Alice e Bartlett Theater at SUNY Fredonia. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's all <laughs> your peers sitting around you. And. I scared the crap out of some people because there was one opportunity where he breaks, it was at Renfield breaks out of his um confines and I think I jumped, I think I pounced onto the empty seat that was in the front row. And I just remember the look of this girl <laughs> from me. I don't remember who it was. I just remember it looking like she needed to change her pants. But um at the end when cracks my neck. He had a little piece of uh, bubble wrap that, you know, as I'm groveling towards <laughs> Dracula, <laughs> and he takes my hand in his and he slips me this little thing yeah. so that as he's, you know, I'm looking up and please take me with him. <laughs> it's just like the first time that we did it with the audience there. Oh my God. They, it was a bunch of kids and they, the gasp was just like it's one of those things. I think the guy who played Dracula yes. probably had to stop himself from laughing in the moment because it was just like, uh, "I think he's dead. I think he's dead." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that's 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 the best stuff. I mean, characters, was a characters like that that have such um meat on them, being able to oh see, my goodness, have that that uh that personality shift over time that you get to see almost real time that's that's the good stuff i've been trying to get my wife to watch uh the uh the shining for the same reason for a long time oh yeah absolutely but uh that yeah that's that's that is so much fun now that's more of a um a contemporary rather than the classical piece do you have a preference between contemporary or classical theater
1: Oh, not at all. I'm uh, I'm a child of Shakespeare in many ways. My father was uh, an English teacher and administrator in Brooklyn public schools, and uh, he got kids. What was it? I mean, I'm truly a child of Shakespeare. He got a letter from a student of his years after they had graduated and she had not. I think when she came into high school, she couldn't speak English or at least it was very difficult by the time she graduated with him as an English teacher, she won a regional Shakespeare competition. Wow. So that kind of thing. Right. So that's in my blood. Um, reading was very difficult for me for some reason. Scripts have always been different. Um, and maybe that's a left and right brain thing. I don't know, but um you know, we, <laughs> I don't know how many copies of the complete works we have at home, but uh, occasionally when I was very little, sometimes we would, the four, my, my, my brother, my parents and I would sit around and go through one of the plays. I think I got my first, my, my own copy of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet on VHS, which was a double tape because it's actually four hours long. It's uncut, right? So it's, uh, yeah. I think I got that probably as soon as it became available, I was a child. Um, I've played Romeo three times. I've worked in Macbeth a couple of times. Love's Labor's Lost. I I just love it. I mean, yeah, there's no preference for me because you can apply contemporary technique to classical performance to make it more palatable, and you can apply classical technique to contemporary performance to make it more... Also to make it more palatable just because the... um, I don't know. There's something lacking I find in a lot of strictly contemporary, contemporarily trained actors, just as far as having how to plant your feet and say a word instead of doing too much. And uh, yeah. No, yeah, the longest answer to the question. No, I don't have preference.
0: No, that's why they <laughs> always say that—that that, that, that sort of keep it simple, stupid sort of thing. it's, it's just because yeah. the, some of the most basic things are what's going to resonate with people is what's going to last.
1: Oh, and sure, I, I apply my act, my my uh, Shakespeare training to improv. It all works. I mean, I, I mean the the uh, uniformities in that are just astronomical because of the commedia lineage that goes into both, but. Yeah, well, I, I can't
0: imagine being involved with the Upright Citizens Brigade just to begin with. I mean, that just seems like I I, it, I love comedy, but being putting myself in that position, I just feel like there'd be a certain weight because, you know, it's, it's, it's a known entity. People sure. are familiar and it's, it's always, it would come with its own in, in, innate pressure to, to be able to make that funny all the time. What was it like being involved with with that group?
1: I mean, one of the one of my favorite things about it was some of the people that I met Um, through my training at UCB. I was able to connect with some other great actors, uh, comics and performers who we went and formed. Um, It kind of started as a practice group that turned into an actual team. Um, Unfortunately, it kind of dissolved early in quarantine. But we for a while had we were called um, Sky Rats and we for a while had a running show at the people's improv theater pit um also here in new york and um we, we we kind of kind of made a form of sorts kind of based on um loosely a herald loosely uh uh i'm blanking on the form right now um through yeah it's not going to come to me anyway we did a an improvised twilight zone episode basically um and that was another one of those things where we all love the classic stuff but how do we make something unique for right now and uh but yeah no i mean the, the thing about ucb is that it's yeah it's it's esteemed there's so many huge names that have gone in and out um like everywhere, though, right. not not to not to minimize it, because the training that you get there is amazing. I mean, the structure of why something is funny um, and and how that works, understanding beats, understanding um story structure alone, actually was something that I loved about sketchwriting class over there. It was just um, on a page what it means to make a beat happen, make a, make the game funny, why the game is funny. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I carry that training with me everywhere. I mean, with the movie Townhouse that we worked on recently, uh, I've, I was very lucky to have Patrick allow me to, uh, Patrick uh, perez Vidaudi, our director, um, our captain, um, he, after a few, the very minimal amount of rehearsal that we were able to get, he gave me pretty free reign to try a lot of things. Um, but, you know, with my training, both classically and at UCB, I was able to just ground anything that came out of my mouth, whether it was improvised or not, truly from the character. And, you know, try and try to motivate as many of the uh, devious and savage things that Tommy Leroy did in that movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So were you exposed to the screenplay first or were you aware of the novel before the screenplay?
1: It was the screenplay first for me. Um, but as soon as we started working, I grabbed the novel. and See, I'm, I'm uh, it's funny, even though uh, reading was difficult for me when I was a kid, there were certain, it's one of those things, there are certain teachers, certain books throughout schooling that really click for you. Mm-hmm. And um I don't even remember what grade it was in high school, but I do know it was in high school that we read Pride and Prejudice. And I, it was probably that I was refreshed by the narrative as opposed to most of the male narratives that I, that you're taught in most of your schooling, just because that's not, I should say mine in my schooling as a child, most of the literature that I read was from a male perspective, but seeing that perspective and that narrative from Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice it was wonderful. And I mean, again, growing up with parents who exposed me to classic film and stuff like that um, and loving Shakespeare is one of those things I knew who Olivier was. So when I watched the movie, the classic movie of Pride and Prejudice, um, alongside reading the book at the time, it was it. I just fell in love with that story so much. So when I saw the character breakdown of Townhouse Confidential as a new age Pride and Prejudice, I think I briefly looked at the role description of um, Lee Tyler's character of George Barrow, who would be the Darcy character. But the second I saw a Wickham-esque handyman, who kind of sleeps his way throughout the West Village? I was like, "Oh boy, what a pleasure!" And not to mention the fact that I grew up like hang, most of where I hung out when I was a teenager was the West Village. Um, I didn't hang out with many people my age. I hung out with mostly my brother and his older, my his friends who were older than me. And starting probably from when I was about twelve years old, we would usually every weekend go to the West Village, go to the record shops. Um, hang out in Washington square park, you know, eat my moon's falafel, do all that stuff. Um, and I even just before maybe a year or two before, um, we worked on townhouse, I was actually delivering pizza for John's pizzeria, which is featured in the movie as well. John's, nice. John's a Bleecker street, the famous old school. I believe it's the second oldest. I believe it's the second oldest pizza place in New York. Wow. Um, still brick oven or coal oven, coal oven, coal brick oven. Yeah. Great stuff. Delicious pizza. Um, But yeah, it was just funny when I I finally read the script and I was like, John's, I was like, are they going to get John's pizzeria? I don't know. We'll see about that. And of course, you know, a couple of weeks into shooting, I find out, yeah, we're going to be shooting this night at John's pizzeria. I was like, what? Say hi to Joey.
0: You know, it's something, you know, is weird. Some of these some of these older authors and 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 the work that they do, especially Jane Austen, has had somewhat. I don't know if I want to call it a resurgence. I mean, she's always had a following, but yeah. just it, it never goes away, and it keeps getting tweaked and adjusted and and changed in interesting ways. Now, if you haven't had a chance, there's a really fun novel called uh, *Pride and Prejudice and Zombies*.
1: I was hoping you were going to mention it. <laughs> I was hoping that was going to come up. I watched it actually not too long ago. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. It's uh... it's a good time. And honestly, with like the actual values of the original story, it keeps in line with what characters are and what their motivations are. You know, yeah, I thought so... it was damn good.
0: It is so much fun. Well, okay. So you, you kind of already gravitated to this character. Uh, I, I asked this question to to Samantha, and I'll ask the same thing to you. Do you think that you share any personality quirks with your character? What's, what's the thing that's most like the character that's like you, and what's the thing that's least like the character that's like
1: you? Um, I could say that the, let's see. I think most like and least like unfortunately have to do with his um <laughs> his choice of partners as far as how loose he had been with it, which you could say was from my younger years in certain ways and but I have uh, calmed down <laughs> in many regards and very happily with my partner. and um, but it's it's one of those things even, just in the past, I don't know, since my mid-20s, it was just some uh, energy that I found much more usefully focused elsewhere. Um other than that, I am an actual handyman.
0: <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go.
1: That's that's a that's a real thing. I actually have worked as a carpenter and handyman throughout New York, which was another thing. Actually, when when we had the um callback for the movie that were all in zoom sessions uh i had just run in to the session and i didn't have time to change i was still in my dusty overalls because i was sanding and repainting an apartment not far away nice. <laughs> and so i ended up running right into the callback in full handyman outfit um just in line with the character
0: <laughs> oh man that just it seems like the environment of the creation of the film was um, just kind of a joy. I mean, from everyone oh, yeah. that I've talked to that it's it was not what you would consider your your normal fare in in putting a film together. What struck you the most about making the film that was either just like, hey, this is kind of a, a breath of fresh air or this is this is not what I was expecting, but hey let's 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 go with it. This is awesome.
1: Yeah. Um I think the the amount that we got done in the short time that we had um kind of blew me away. Now I've worked on many high profile um and high like a uh, uh, big studio productions, whether it's TV or film, um often for stunts and stuff like that. Uh, you see all kinds of budgets. Um now I knew this was uh what do you call it? I don't know, whatever lower than main budget sag agreement this was um but and i knew our our production time frame but the there's something about productions that happen during the summer that it's almost like going to camp you know you're going to spend a certain it's it's just like doing theater right you know you're going to spend a certain amount of time with these people every day you know that at the end of it something's going to be made (laughs) And, you know, that's that's just what it is. And from day one, everyone just was seemed like we were just having a great time. You know, everyone kind of knew that some decisions kind of were happening day to day, whether it was getting location solidified two days in advance or something like that. The whispers of what was happening in production were kind of all around us as actors. Um, but at the same time, all we could do was focus on the words and what we were doing in front of the camera. Right. So it's, uh, I think it's a really beautiful thing when you have that, um, when there's so much kind of under the gun like that, the electrics department, the set deck, um, everyone worked so efficiently and so beautifully to make what we ended up with that, I, I'm still blown away when every time I go to a screening of it or, you know, when I saw it in the theater, which was a joy, um, I'm still kind of blown away that we were able to make something so wonderful. And Patrick got this score. That was another thing. It's like the whole time we're shooting in the West Village at Rosalind Resnick's, uh, our writer and producer at her house for almost half the movie. Um, and this whole time we're you know, Patrick's talking about, getting this great composer that he knows to do the whole score. I'm like, is, is one of these things, not that I had any doubts, but I have done productions in the past where you know of things and you know of issues that can arise and you don't, you know, you don't accept anything until you see the final product. Right. And I'm not surprised, especially now that I know who these people are after working with them. You know, by the time we finished production, I had no doubt that it was going to be a dope movie. But it was one of those things like a weekend. I was just like, we'll see when it happens. But, you know, at the end of the day, passionate people in every department making sure that something beautiful was created.
0: Well, it just seems to me that one of the things that I love, I mean, don't be wrong. I love the the big budget box office films. I'll I'll always have a place in my heart for that but having something that is not that allows you to see you can see kind of the love come through in a a different way there's a group called the dead gentlemen up in the northwest uh, that make uh, films and and uh, and online content that are based around gamers basically and mm. that that sort of stuff, but it's the same kind of thing there—the actors and the people they get involved. You can see the passion come through in everything that they make, and it just had mm. it hits different. Yeah. It, it gives you just kind of a joy that you don't you you can't get maybe if you watch say a Top Gun sequel or something. <laughs> it, sure. It's not that it's bad. It's like yeah, it's yeah. great, but it's it's just it's it's different. Yeah, it's kind absolutely. I kind of like those things. So what was something through your career uh, going, you're talking about um, being involved in some, some larger productions, you know, obviously you've been, been on Gotham and, uh, and, and, and a variety of other things. Is there something that you learned? Uh, This is one of my favorite questions to ask going from stage to, to, to screen in the production process when you were making a, one of the uh, in the process of making a show or a film that you didn't expect would be something that you would have to contend with or was an element of production that you just never thought of before and he's like oh well yeah of course we've got to do that or i had no idea this is something that i had to think about
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question because It's funny. Similarly to your question about classical and contemporary technique and and style, um, I also think that there are things that TV and film actors can learn from stage actors and vice versa. Um, There's things, I think one of the big, honestly, it seems minuscule, but one of the things I had to learn transitioning from doing mostly theater to doing deeper character work on set for TV and film is staying in it between takes and between setups. Um, You know, whether you're in the industry or not, there's a certain amount of time that you must account for in your own practice as an actor for getting light and camera set that, it's I mean, because, you know, there's uh, the the fold out chairs that they'll give to talent and whatnot. Um, there's green rooms, there's trailers and all kinds of things. But for me, it was finding what is it, especially when it's a really deep character that I kind of need to stay in. I don't I don't um, I don't claim to work in any specific technique or style. I've practiced and tried to learn a little bit of as many as I can. There's some roles that require me to stay a little bit more in it throughout the process and some that I can kind of jump in and out and kind of just be a part of the crew. Um but for me a big thing was especially for those deeper roles um figuring out things within my own head within my own space to maintain the energy and maintain the focus of whatever I'm doing Um, because especially for like a very big dramatic scene on camera, for example, you're giving so much. For me, I I try to give, you know, as, as much as I can for every take, big or small movement wise, it doesn't matter, but I, and it's tough because for, for when the camera's on me, you know, there's, there's, you get you get the two shots you get you get the ots in a conversation right and there's a practice that a lot of people do you know some sometimes actors don't even have their scene partner right when the camera's on them but anytime that i'm there even if i'm not in front of the camera i try to give as much as i can because it's only going to help that person. And in the final cut, it's only going to help you look better in the end anyway, because both you look better. Um, So, yeah, I think <laughs> there, there, there's been a struggle for me in uh, subscribing to the star treatment on set.
0: All right. So now, before we uh, started talking you had mentioned that you were somewhat familiar with one of the topics that is just like core to what we deal with on our podcast we absolutely Mm -hmm. love comic books and the intersection of comics with films and television and anything like that comic books comic strips anything like that now were you a comic book fan as a kid or have you kind of grown into loving the the films that have come out of that source material
1: um, so I was as, when I was a kid, um, my one of the family traditions that we had was when we would go to Chinatown in Manhattan every few weeks, we would probably also end up at Barnes and Noble, where my brother and I would find I don't know, I mean, honestly, I haven't hung out in a Barnes and Noble in a minute, but I'm sure they do have a comic section probably bigger than it used to be actually, but they had a whole section of comics that we would just sit there and read. Um, My uncle, sadly, uh, they were stolen a few years back, but he had a whole box of original in plastic comics, Mm -hmm. a box of like wonderful stuff um, that occasionally when I would uh, go to – house in the Catskills I would flip through some of those I mean I was raised on The Far Side and Calvin and Hobbes um, some some newspaper comic stuff uh, I'm trying to think of this stuff like I didn't really do re- get into much Jughead or anything like that um, but what was it 10,000 BC was that
0: Oh, BC yeah absolutely. BC yeah
1: just BC right mm-hmm. those I thought were brilliant I, I I love that was that the same cartoonist as the far side
0: uh no different different artists different
1: different artists
0: mm-hmm. yeah um, they that's so much good stuff that was from the papers I mean I know yeah, um, my lifelong obsession with uh penguins with uh, obscenely large noses uh resulted from Bloom County. From yes, reading that in the comics. yes, that's actually getting a series here coming up here, shortly. really. Mm-hmm. That's exciting,
1: yeah. yeah I mean, I, yeah, I, I loved all that stuff. I, I mean, there was something of um, I loved mythology when I was a kid, also, so that always tied in. Um, one of the my brother honestly was more into a lot of the comics than I was, but because of him, I would, you know, grab some of his books every now and then there was the, ah, I'm blanking on the name of it now, but there's a, a, a sequence after Bane breaks Batman's back. Oh yeah. When, when Bruce Wayne is going and he's like retraining with ninjas and he's healing himself. I can't remember what that book was called. Um, um But it's when, uh, uh, Asriel like takes his place and the Nightwing is kind of like checking in on him and everything like I, I remember wishing that they would make a movie of that series because I mean first of all like they, in some of the shows I know DC's done some Nightwing stuff um, for I think HBO there, there's some Nightwing in one of the I don't know. I you've haven't got, really you've got up. the
0: Titans also. Right.
1: Yeah. All of that stuff. Um yeah, really I, I think I think the reason I gravitate towards that is just because I always wanted to play Robin and or Nightwing at some point in my life. Um, and also uh, when we were younger with the original PlayStation, we had some of the games, the early games that came out, like uh Marvel superheroes that became part of Marvel versus Capcom. Um, and all those great characters. Sometimes I remember actually learning about certain characters from those games that I didn't know about in the comics. Um, yeah, uh, Dr. Doom, all those guys. Like, uh, there's something, I think, it, I probably also gravitated towards it because there is some of the dialogue and uh, relationship is very Shakespearean. Oh, yeah. Right? So I must have subconsciously connected something in that way as well when i was a kid
0: oh well, when you were talking about watching the kenneth branagh hamlet i mean uh, branagh did the first thor film and right. a lot of people didn't know what to really make of that which right. if you read the thor comics from like yeah. the 70s and the 80s that's what it was i right. mean it was shakespeare and right. well, with you know lightning bolts and violence well so shakespeare
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the temp it's just all the tempest yeah right but uh i love it
0: so i mean it's it it was it was some fun it was some fun stuff and there's this interplay that happens between comics and the subsequent genres that it it, it flows into there's a back and forth uh you know we just witnessed uh the uh, uh black adam film with mm-hmm. rock
1: and, I, loved, I, I really loved it, actually.
0: Right? I mean, it was, yeah. it was really enjoyable.
1: Is, is, yeah. is it the best film ever
0: made? No, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, is, is it the way the Black Adam is in the comics? No, they could never do that right. in the film.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right.
0: <laughs> but, um, but the funny thing is, you know, that universe that it's part of back in the 70s, there was a, a Captain Marvel television show. Yeah, Captain Marvel television show was so popular it spawned a spinoff that was mm-hmm. ISIS.
1: Mm-hmm, ISIS mm-hmm. was
0: never portrayed in the comics before that, but right. because that was popular, then it gets a comic right. character. Or right. the Harley Quinn thing from the the Bat universe was yeah in the cartoon first and before it was ever in the.
1: Oh, I was absolutely a child of all the um Space Ghost and Johnny Quest and all that stuff from back in the day, um, which I mean now. Do you watch Adventure Bros? You must
0: when I can. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When when you know every few years when they come out with a new season. Um. I mean the the detail that they put into that show is just amazing.
0: Yeah. But no, I mean
1: it, like I, I it's funny because I have friends. I think it's just because it's one of these things. Other than. Uh, like I recently took back up skateboarding and other like physical things to add yeah. to my resume, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of fell off with video games, I fell off with comics, but I have partially because of the shows, be, like it, it's reignited my interest. And one of the wonderful things about living in Brooklyn is the actual comic shops that are all over the place.
0: There are some amazing, I movies. mean,
1: in a way that when I was a kid. There were a few here and there you know you go get your magic the gathering cards from the shop down the street or something like that right. But um they they really it's it's probably because the kids who were reading them then have the money and the facility to have the money and the means to facilitate a larger outreach so you have gaming cafes and right. you know for board games not for not for video games but for like board games which ties into comic culture. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of created Yeah, more teams of a
0: definitely tied. in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But, but I was just going to say that it kind of, it kind of ties in the community aspect as opposed to, I don't know. I mean, this is probably, you know, pre nineties, because I feel post nineties comic book culture became mainstream but it became, it was such a subculture thing up until then. I mean, I might be wrong on my dates popularly, but it seemed like something that would separate nerds from other people, for example, which it a nonsense derogatory term. Right. right? I, I had no friends. I had to get magic the gathering cards so that the magic kids would let me hang out because no one else would let me hang out anyway. Right. <laughs> it's like, It was that kind of thing. Right. So it's like, I have no, yeah, I'll say nerds, but nerd in the most affectionate way, because as far as I'm concerned, they're the people that make our world run. Um, But the resurgence of comic book culture is—it's amazing, and and, you know the way that they bring things back. Like I I remember, like people have had such strangely mixed reviews about She Hulk, but great, you know the way that she breaks the fourth wall. As far as I'm concerned. It's one of the most it's one of the things that has been missing from all of the movies, mm-hmm. because when you read the comics, they're breaking the fourth wall constantly, Yep, especially in Marvel. Um, so, you know, when, when they did that, I was like, yes, yes, that's awesome. You know, you know, grab the remote, do all of that.
0: Yeah, the um, John Byrne run, especially with She-Hulk, was just constantly doing that. That was that was such yeah. a great series. Yeah. So okay, well then this will lead my two-part question. Then uh, mm-hmm. normally ask one of the pieces of this a little earlier, but you know just how things turn out. So, all right. First of all, non-comic related. If you had your choice anywhere in the history of television and film to be able to insert yourself into a show or a film what would it be and then the second part will be if you had your choice of comic characters to portray in a film or television show going forward who would you
1: portray i love that question so much let's see um Give me one second to think about classically. Um, sorry, one second. Oh, that's why. Apologies. I was like, my phone is ringing and buzzing. no do I mean. <laughs> so something that has that happened already, yes yeah, right, right that, that I would happened. like that I would insert myself into a story or a world that I would insert myself into. Mm. It's so tough a lot of good stuff it's just i mean i've just seen and (laughs) i've just seen so much nonsense in my life i'm like well oh i love that here let me answer the 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 second part maybe it'll influence my uh the first part of the question works so the second the second part's easy for me actually because when i was a kid uh my brother and i occasionally got into the um star wars fan fiction now, it's not necessarily comics, but it's the same kind of world, right? Come on. Close enough. But Kip Kipteron, who was in... I can't remember the name of the book now. But one of the canon Star Wars novels from... I don't know if they must have been released in the 80s and 90s, I imagine.
0: Way back in the day.
1: Yeah. Um, but Kipteron was this badass dude who, like... He was part of Luke's New Jedi Alliance... And um, he like Luke saves him from the dark side, and, and then there's like this big epic uh, moment between him and Luke where uh, he saves Luke from the dark side because Luke is like getting pulled back in. And I remember when I first saw that they were coming out with new Star Wars for Ray's story, right. I mean, I, I love that they've created new stuff and sure. new characters for the world. I think it's wonderful. Um, but I, the, the second that I heard about like one of the characters being one of uh, uh, Luke's trainees, I was like, oh my God, is this is this it? Of course, it's Kylo Ren, but his story is actually kind of similar in a certain way. To some extent, he's obviously more evil at the end of the day, but... Um, I hope that as they continue making, I mean, I, I'm just in the middle of watching Bad Batch. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to run through all of them. I'm kind of out of sequence chronologically yeah, with some of the Star Wars stuff, but I really, really hope that they find a place to put Kipter on and that I get a casting notice for it. <laughs> um <laughs> I like it. uh now. Back to that first part of the question, I would say, and no offense to, uh, what's his name that played Legolas like in Lord of the Rings movies?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, now now I'm going to have that mental moment too. But yeah, why am
1: I blanking on his name?
0: Because he's he's kind of he's Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: For yeah, so he's, he's, awesome. he's been quiet for a minute. Yeah. Um. But I love. I think it's because I loved archery when I was a kid, and I still actually have a recurve bow that I try to practice with whenever I can. But Legolas was a wonderful character. I, um, the, yeah, there's something about the 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 Elvish world that is just like beautiful to to um, discover in its own way. Right. But the um, his his abilities as a warrior, I was just like, yeah, that's damn, that's damn cool. Like you know, riding. Riding orcs as you shoot them in the face is like, can, I mean, come on.
0: Or <laughs> Orlando Bloom did a great job. With that. Orlando Bloom, yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Although I have to admit, some of my friends made fun of just one very specific thing where he was riding the shield down the, the Yeah, wall yeah, yeah. Because Triple X had just come out like a year prior and the exact same shtick was used uh,
1: in the snow or something.
0: Uh, uh something like that something it, like that near a cafe in, in the winter time and he is going down yeah going down the stair stairway with on yeah. top some shield or flat piece like yeah that's it, it was kind of the same <laughs> but still cool yeah you know, i was just
1: so yeah cool. no i'm all about that
0: uh i uh i have to admit i thought you were going to say it's like oh i'd want to be in uh, a remake of uh 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 princess bride and and i would be uh
1: well, that's I, I they there's been like rumors of bringing that to the stage, right for it for Broadway for years years and years I've been hearing rumors of development and whatnot um yeah, I mean
0: I don't think I want to yeah. see it on the big screen, but I'd love to see it as a play. I think that would be a lot yeah
1: no no, no that, that's what I mean I think they've been they've been developing it for Broadway um and I ugh. Yeah, I mean, just the the chance to pick up a sword and do that story, which uh, I love it. I mean, I was when I was a kid, my brother and I used to watch um, wrestling a bit. Andre the Giant, obviously, icon. Um, So when that, you know, when when we first saw that movie when I was a kid, I remember just being like, I don't know what's going on, but it's awesome. (laughs) Was it Christopher Guest? I think is the bad guy in that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think we actually think that we had seen spinal tap before we saw <laughs> it's just the parents that we had i think we had i think i had seen spinal tap first and i was like because he in in spinal tap christopher Guest kind of plays like the ozzy Osbourne almost yeah right that
0: was So good. That
1: was so <laughs> and good. then when i saw him in princess bride i was like i love this guy and of course everything else that he's made no but i, I love the princess bride that's uh That was definitely a bonding thing for my partner and i yeah
0: that's 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 so now i'm i will do my part that i always do i always try and cast if i were to cast you in a modern day comic book thing uh being the the giant geek that i am and looking at the hairstyle that you had from townhouse confidential and just looking (laughs) at the way that you were there it's like you know he, he has a very similar physique and look to the the julio richter character That was often in the X-Men universe uh, around X-Factor and things like that. Oh, Richter. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know, I bet, I bet he could pull that off perfectly. I can mess
1: with that for sure. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So so if any of the casting gods are out there, you know, you've heard it from the guys first.
1: What am I talking about? Gambit. Gambit, I I don't know why I was blanking on that. That's absolutely one of my all time <laughs> favorites. I and th- that's the answer that I've thought of a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely, Gambit. Oh yeah. I actually have. Just saying, <laughs> it's something that like I've had on my mind. I love it. A minute.
0: I love it. That is that is too much <laughs> fun. I think oh. I got this
1: coat. I got this like leather duster for like twenty dollars at a secondhand store, and I was like. Damn it,
0: man. Yeah. Yeah. For me, <laughs> I, I can't pull off any uh, any of the characters, but I always have the characters near and dear to my heart at any given spot. So it's oh, yeah. the, uh, it is the joy, the joy of comics that it brings to us. Well, I have to say uh, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us about your career thus far and about this really awesome film, Townhouse Confidential, that's out right now on streaming that you can go watch. You could and should go watch and enjoy. If if you like rom coms, you'll enjoy it. If you like real estate shows, <laughs> you'll probably still enjoy it. it it's, <laughs> it's great stuff. Yes. Um, and great they,
1: New they, York story for anyone. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, anyone no, looking you to, could. you know, great great way to reminisce about summer in New York. If you ever have fond memories of summer in New York, the cinematography is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely go take a
0: look at it. Now, if we, as our spectating populace, uh, would like to follow you and know what you're going to do next, what social media, where do we go to find out what Jonas is going to be doing?
1: Uh, you can definitely find my page on Facebook. If you just search my first and last name, Jonas Branca, um, at Jonas Bronco or at JNastyBKNY on Instagram. Great. Um, also, if you, uh, just type in a search for the hashtag Basil King of Brooklyn, you'll definitely find my Instagram as well. Yep. Um, and other than that, market. I've got my website that updates, uh, uh, jabaranka.com is my website where you can find updates and other materials. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I don't, I don't have Twitter and I don't have Tumblr. I don't even know if Tumblr is still a thing anymore. Kind of sort of? Not really. Uh, App? No blog spot or anything like that right now. But Who, who knows
0: if uh, Twitter is even going to be all that uh, relevant all that much longer. Who knows? But, know. uh, but uh, definitely take a look at what he's doing. See, see his green thumb and all his fantastic uh, gardening tips. And uh, but uh, until next time, uh, thank you again. And uh, I can't wait to see what you're going to be in next.
1: Thank you, Ken. I can't wait to see you again and uh, hopefully soon enough.
0: That'd be awesome.